This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. All right, everyone, what is going on? How you doing? Episode 231, Talking Buffalo Podcast, presented by 26 Shirts and Sounds Assured. I want to thank everyone out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, subscribe to the podcast. It really, truly means a lot to me. Really does. I'm going to have some thoughts a little bit later on on Cam Newton signing with the New England Patriots. Also got some thoughts on Florida. Everything going on with COVID, it's a mess down here. Coming from my viewpoint as somebody who lives in Florida, I'll have that stuff coming up later in the podcast. But before that, yo, it is Stew Boyer Day at Talk About Flow Podcast. Very excited about this interview. Stu Boyer is a guy that I can't express to you in words how much respect I have for him, how much I like him. One of... And we talk about this in the interview. And I'm not telling you something that if you know Stu at all, you don't already know. Stu's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Forget about sports media because that's easy to say. He's one of the nicest people in the sports media. Stu's just one of the nicest people, period, man. He really, truly is. He treats everybody the same. I've always admired that about him. I've seen him on and off at various sporting venues for many years now going back. Just a great guy. Never really a quote-unquote superstar in the sports media. Alan Pergament, uh, the writer for the Buffalo News, I think he described it perfectly. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but basically he said that Stu was like the ultimate utility player during his career with WGRZ, which just wrapped up after 35 years. Stu just did a lot of things, and he did them so well. He was like a Swiss Army knife. Just a great guy, lots of great stories. You're going to hear plenty of them. So much and so, in fact, that I'm not going to waste any more time here babbling at the top. Very excited about this one. Again, Stu Boyer Day here at Talking Buffalo Podcast. Not going to waste any more time. Here it is, my chat with Stu Boyer. All right, my guest today, very special guest, just wrapped up a 35-year-plus career at WGRZ-TV. During that time, he was inside our homes on our TV sets, delivering the sports news of the day. One of the nicest guys I've ever seen in the sports media. And I think anyone who's in the business would say the exact same thing. Of course, I'm talking about Stu Boyer, freshly retired Stu Boyer. What's going on, Stu? How you doing? I'm doing great, Pat. And I, it's nice to be remembered. And, and you know, one of the things about being retired is I always tried to help 
younger people or people just starting out in the industry or anyone in the industry. And a lot of people have said that they remember I did X, Y, or Z for them. And that makes me feel really, really good because, you know, they were there for people to help me. And when I got into it, I tried to help other people and hopefully the people that I help, they'll help the next generation. So that makes me feel good. Yeah, for sure. I'll tell you what, you have the shortest LinkedIn page ever. You know, that page where everyone has like their career resumes, where all the jobs <laughs> that they've worked at. I go on yours as like one big thing. <laughs> we had a couple 35 years before that, but that was funny. But it's seriously speaking, Stu, and I, and I really mean it. So we're going to talk about your life and your career retirement, the first handful of days of your retirement. We'll get to all that, the fun fact finale in just a minute. I do want to start by saying this because I kind of mentioned it in the intro and I really truly mean this. I've been around in and out of the sports media for a long time. Never nothing serious, but a lot of rag magazines, a couple websites, high school, college. I've run into you several times here and there. I really truly mean this. You are without question, one of the nicest people that I've ever met in the sports media. I really mean that. And the the thing about you that I respect the most is whether it was somebody like myself or a high school reporter for the Tanawan, the news, wherever have you, or whether it was a major national sports media person in town to do a big story. You always treated people exactly the same, the same amount of respect. You didn't say, oh, well, this is Adam Schefter. I'm going to sit there and and treat him great and, you know, treat the high school reporter like he's nothing. You always had that same level of respect for everybody. And I know that a lot of people appreciate that about you. Well, thank you, Pat. You know, I just, it's never hard to be good to people, to be nice to people. We're all doing the same thing. No reason to be nasty about it. Um, And you know what? Everybody at one point or another is starting out and everybody at one, listen, people always helped me. You know, like like there were photographers where one of my batteries would die from the other stations and, and they would loan me one of their batteries, whether it was for a light or for a camera or, or a couple of double uh, um, A's for a microphone or at the time a nine volt for a microphone. So, you know, it's listen, always be good to people. There's no reason not to be good to people. And I guess you'd call that karma. It'll always come back to you if you're good to people. And you know, I always tried to help people when I could. And that's just simply because there were people who helped me. And I like to help people. If I could help somebody, why wouldn't I? I mean, it's kind of silly not to. So, you know, I'm sure that um, I had my share of disagreements with people over the years. <laughs> but for the most part, it was, it was a great 35-year run. And like I said, I it's a good thing to help people. And I felt good about it. If, any, if I could have helped anyone, and, and I hope I helped a lot of people, you know, maybe get over the hump on a particular day or a particular situation in their career. And if that happened, good. I'm, I'm happy that that happened. Now, before we get into your career, let's go all the way back here. So you're born in Rochester, right? Yes, sir. Grew up there. Tell us a little bit about a couple of the memories that you might have remembering growing up as a young boy in Rochester, New York. <laughs> well... Yeah, I grew up in 1955, was born in 1955. I have one big sister. It was just the two of us. We spent a lot of times at our, a lot of time. My mother had two sisters who lived in Cleveland. We spent a lot of time living, like I spent my summers in Cleveland from like 62 to 70. And that's the reason I'm a big Indians fan. Um, My dad was a big baseball guy. He loved Leo DeRocher. 
Uh, he liked the Cubs, used to mock me for all the teams that I used to root for because I never won anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think his favorite football player was Thurman Thomas. And I don't think he was into the Bills until I moved here. And he really got into him when Thurman got here. Um, it, I used to go to uh, what was then Red Wing Stadium, uh, part of the Knothole Gang in Rochester. Big Rochester Red Wings fan, big fan of the Rochester Americans. Uh, my mom would go to games sometimes and she would, and, and the, her take on it was, I love watching the referees jump to get out of the way of the players, <laughs> which, which I thought was hilarious. And I love the Amherst uniforms. When I was a young pup, the Amherst won like three back-to-back-to-back Calder Cups. The Red Wings, you know, I don't even remember if the Red Wings won the Governor's Cup, but I just love going to the ballpark. I remember meeting Luke Easter at Red Wing Stadium. Uh, that was a real special day and, and being able to chant, Luke. And I remember going to Red Wing Stadium on Norton Street. And then we went to the, some big league games in Cleveland at old the old municipal stadium. And I remember the first time I saw that stadium, I was like, holy cow, look at the size of this thing. <laughs> so I was overwhelmed by that. Um you know, when we were did you play, kids, did we, you play sports as a kid? Well, I was just going to say, when we were kids, we played every single sport you could play all the time. Uh, we played baseball, football, basketball. Um, one of my cousins in Rochester, who it turns out he was ranked like number eight in the country and as a tennis player, uh, Ron Pinsky, um, his dad um, would build, build a rink every year. And the one year that I was actually learning how to skate, we had an early thaw. <laughs> so I never really uh, became a, a, even a, a halfway decent skater. But we played a, a lot of baseball, a lot of softball. Um, I played uh, one. I had a friend. His name is Mark Baker. And we played some softball at Genesee Valley Park. And one year we, we just joined the softball league. And we show up for our first game and, you know, Mark and I have T-shirts on and, you know, some kind of like longer shorts and our, our probably sneakers. And as soon as we get there, we see the other team, they got full uniforms, hats, pants, shirts, the whole nine <laughs> yards. And we just looked at each other like, oh, my God, we're going to get killed. And sure enough, we did. The worst part about that day, Pat, was um, – as we were driving away, I forgot, and I left my mitt and my shoes on top of the car, and I never saw them again. It was one of my favorite oh, mitts. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I never – I played one year of bitty basketball, and I played like one year of Little League baseball. The baseball was in Cleveland. I was in the Plain Dealer Tennis Tournament. I won my first match, lost my second. Um my cousin Danny was an outstanding baseball player. So after school ended we, from 62 to 70, I would go to Cleveland and Danny and I have the same birthday, June 20th. So we were the Dodgers in the Trist Speaker Little League. Um, I was four, th four for 13 with like 12 walks, had no speed. That was my problem in most sports, no speed. Also yeah. couldn't hit a curveball. Um, in high school, I the one year I went to Monroe High School for the eighth grade, and then we moved to Brighton. In the ninth grade, when I got to Brighton, I went out for the baseball team. They had a ninth grade team. Oh no, they had a, a JV in the varsity. Well, I I was one of the last guys cut. Well, when I was in the tenth grade, they had a ninth grade team in the JV in the varsity, and I still didn't make it. So I just remember being very disappointed, and I thought, yeah. you know, if I can't play baseball, maybe I can. Um, 
broadcast it. And also when we moved, I, um, I was told about this meeting for freshman football. And what you have to remember sometimes when you move into a new district and you're the new kid, all these other kids have grown up together playing all these right. sports. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to go to that freshman football meeting, but my mom didn't want me to have any part of playing football. She didn't think it was good for me. And I've always wondered what would have happened had I done it. Um, in my senior year, I worked out with the football team and I got a, job as a gopher, go for this, go for that at WAXC radio. So the day they passed out the equipment, I had to, I, I had to quit, which was always kind of disappointing, but I did have a couple of moments before that happened in Rochester. There was a legendary Brighton high school football coach. His name was Barney Sullivan. And of course I was on special teams and there were a couple of times who knows if I would have made the tackle pad. I don't know. I would have been right. like the, the outside guy on the extra point team, if I ever saw the field, <laughs> but there were a couple of times like on the kick coverage team where I was right where I was supposed to be. And I remember coach Sullivan yelling out, great job, boy, you're right where you're supposed to be. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm getting into this thing. Uh, unfortunately never really had the chance. Um, I just wasn't, I wasn't that athletic Pat, to be perfectly honest. Um, couldn't hit a curveball, couldn't run weak arm, um, you know, I love to play all the sports, played them every chance we got. And we played all hours of the day and night. It's all we did. Uh, well, organized sports were a little bit different for me. I just never had any amount of success. Yeah. But you know, they always say some of the worst athletes end up making the best coaches and the best sports writers and the best sports broadcasters. So for you, like, when did you first realize that maybe being behind a camera and talking about sports and being in sports casting was something that you may want to grow up to do as an adult. Again, were you a real young kid? Was it in high school where that really started to click in for you? Was it college? We'll talk about college in just a minute here. Like, do you have a specific time where you remember where you could say to yourself, Hey, you know what, Stu, this is, um, I want to grow up and this is what I want to do for a living. Well, truthfully, um, I'm a huge Cleveland Indians fan. And I always wanted to be the Indian second baseman and be the player that would lead them to the World Series championship. However, <laughs> that day in the ninth or 10th grade, when they posted the names of the players who made the baseball team in high school, my name wasn't on that list. I had a very <laughs> long, slow, sad walk home. Sure. And it was during that walk, I just decided, you know, if I can't play it, maybe I can talk about it. So from that point on, all I really wanted to do was play by play, but my opportunities rarely came about to do that. And my opportunities came along in other areas of broadcasting and I was able to pursue those. And I mean, I, I had a great career. It was fun. Um, I, I've had a chance to do some play-by-play -play along the way. Uh, thanks to the Buffalo Bisons. Thanks to Damon College. Um, you know, I did some Erie Cardinals way back when, when I was in Erie. So, uh, and, and of course the section six uh, at channel two high school, um, football and basketball stuff that, that, that we did and, uh, on the live stream. So, you know, the, the, um, coming of the internet helped me cause I wouldn't have had that opportunity otherwise. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. so it was kind of that long walk home from high school that day it was a miserable day. I was so sad. I was heartbroken, um, that I would never leave, lead my Indians to a world series championship. And, and Pat, you know, I, I, I've taken my tape and I haven't done it for a long time, but I took my tape recorder to a couple of Indians games in Cleveland. 
and uh, with a friend of mine, uh, his name is John Green, who lives in Florida now, and we taped an Indians-Yankees game. It was a one nothing Yankee win, and Dan Spiller pitched a one-hitter for the Indians. Uh, I took my tape recorder when I first moved to Buffalo. Now, also with a guy named Wayne Fuller when I was in college at Syracuse, on weekends, I would come home because I was working at Channel 10 on Saturdays. So I'd come home Friday, and the Amherst used to be home Friday and Sunday night. So Wayne Fuller, who used to work at Trail A bus and, bus and, and at WBTA Radio, who has unfortunately since passed away, he had this equipment, and we would do play-by-play of the Amherst games on Friday and Sunday nights. I would do the first and third period. He would do the second period. He was very kind to let me do more of the play-by-play. And as it turns out, um, the main Mariners at one point were looking for a play-by-play guy. And I applied, and uh, I think a guy named Mike Emmerich got the job. <laughs> mm. So I guess that, put, that puts me uh, yeah. be you know in pretty good company. Um, <laughs> so you know I tried to make as much of the play-by-play happen as I could. It never worked out that way, but – you know, I'm not going to complain about it. I've had, I've had great opportunities. And, um, you know, in college, when I was at Syracuse, I never had the chance to do any play-by-play because I was a transfer student. So the list was long and everybody wanted to do play-by-play. So I just wound up doing news on WAER, which was the student run station. I think it still is because I still get mail asking for donations. So um, <laughs> that never changes. <laughs> right. Um why so, did you go to Syracuse? That That's a question I wanted to ask you because like you went to Syracuse before like going to Syracuse was fashionable. I talked to a lot of sports media people and they all go to Syracuse. Now this was before the big East explosion of basketball in the eighties. Like I said, Sal Capaccio, lots of Jeremy White, lots of people have went on to go to Syracuse, but you went back like back in the day you went there. So I always like to ask my media guests why. And sometimes it's a pretty simple question, but in your case, like, why did you go there? Were there other schools that you considered going to? Or did you well, definitely want to end up at Syracuse? Truthfully, it's one of the few things in life that I always wanted to do is to go to Syracuse University that I actually did. Um, growing up in Rochester, um, the Orange went to the Final Four in 74, 75, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had graduated from Brighton and I was working like three different jobs. WAXC radio. I was doing news there. I was a guy like opening the newsroom in the morning. Um, I was the PA announced. Well, that was actually later. Anyway, I had a bunch of whole bunch. I don't even remember right now exactly how it worked out, but I had a number of part-time jobs and maybe that was further on. But so anyway, I was working at WAXC radio and going to school at MCC. So I graduated from MCC and I applied to Michigan state Emerson College, Syracuse, and I don't remember where else. And I just, I think it might have been watching Syracuse in, in the final four. I just said, you know what? This is where I want to go. Because, you know, I thought they're there now. They'll be every year because you're right. young. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just, I just always wanted to go there. I couldn't, I don't honestly remember ever wanting to go anyplace else. I thought it was really cool. Little did I realize just how outrageously out expensive it is. <laughs> and, you know, plus growing up in Rochester, Syracuse and St. Bonaventure, um, they had a game at the War Memorial. In Rochester, they had a Kodak Classic. If Syracuse ever came, it was a big deal to have the orange there. Um, back then, they were the Orangemen. 
Um, so, it, you know, I hate to tell you this, Pat, but I don't, I don't remember too much. I just know that's where I always wanted to go to school and I accomplished <laughs> that. So I was yeah. very happy about that. It took me a long time to pay back my student loans. And, you know, oh, sure. <laughs> um, guys like Sal and Jeremy are having great careers. They do a great job. And there's another um, young lady in our market, uh, Heather Prusak. Yeah. Um, they're all SU grads and, and Adam Benini is an SU guy too. So yeah. uh, hopefully I didn't leave anybody out here in Buffalo. <laughs> I'm sure you did because everybody went there at some point, it feels like. So now before you go to Channel 2, that was in 1985. You worked at a couple of TV stations, uh, WHEC and WSEE. How were your, how was your time there? And like, what did you learn that kind of would go on to help you like hone your craft a little bit, so to speak, before you would go to channel two, which would become your long-term career? Well, let me go back a little further and, and I'm going to go back to the WAXC radio days, waxy radio. Um, years ago, my mom worked for her brother. And when he passed away, the gentleman who took over the practice was an eye doctor. His name was Dr. Chair, great man who has since passed away. Well, one day someone came into the office and mentioned something about broadcasting. And my mom said, oh, my son is interested in broadcasting. So whoever it was, and I have no idea who it was, I've never known actually, said, well, have him call this guy and see what he can do. So the, the man was Rich Funky who's now a New York senator, um, I think. I don't think, I think he's still in office. Well, anyway, Rich was a fabulous broadcaster. He, he was the news director at WAXC, and he went on to have a great career at Channel 10 as a sports guy and an, as a news guy. So I called him up, and I started hanging around the radio station. This was like what you could do before everybody had to have an official internship. So gradually, I got more and more responsibility. And uh, one day, Rich Funky ripped off a piece of AP wire copy and said to me, read this. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but if you go back and you're 16 years old and you're standing there with all these guys who are broadcasters and they're professionals and they're very good. Rich Funky, Charles Hill, um, Merrill Gray, Wayne Fuller, they've all got their own style. These are these are grown men. They're adults. So I read it. And Rich's comment was, well, you read good, but you need to develop some authoritarian. You got to be more authoritative. So I was very nervous. But anyway, I, as I got to know Rich and, and the other guys who I just mentioned, they taught me more and more about the industry. And eventually, Rich Funky would work with me. I would call him and say, Richard, do you have time to work with me? And to his credit, he took incredible amounts of time. He, you know, and I would write things and I, he would listen to me, read my copy and do all kinds of great things. And outside of my dad, he had the most influence over me um, in my life because he kind of he's my mentor. He got my career started and I'll never forget it. And I'm very grateful for it. And eventually I started doing newscasts all night long because Waxy had news at like uh 554, 1254, 154, 254, and so on um, through the night. And Rich would critique those newscasts. And he was tough, fair, but tough. He would say, how could you write that? What kind of grammar is that? Um, you know, punch this story up. Do a better job on this story. But they were all valid criticisms. And I learned and I grew from him. And when he moved to Channel 10, eventually – 
Um, I came back from Syracuse after my junior year, and I'd worked at Waxy for a while. Um, they had this thing called the dial a score, where you could dial a number. It was um, Waxy's dial a score is brought to you by Scotty Pontiac, the area's largest Pontiac dealer. Was the was the <laughs> commercial line, and there were there were these three machines, and you could always tell that someone was on the phone because the lights would light up. And what we did is we would just, I would just do the, the Scuddy Pontiac line and I would read the scores of baseball, football, hockey, basketball, and the high school scores. And it was like a three minute thing. And I would update them every so often throughout the evening, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. Uh, Sundays was the day usually during the football season. But so anyway, um, Rich eventually went to Channel 10. And after my junior year at Channel 10, he said, because I kept in touch, and he's a great man. He truly is. And I kept in touch with Rich, and after my junior year, he said, we happen to have an opening. Are you interested? And I said, sure. So I went down to Channel 10, and I, and I um, made an audition tape. And I think if I remember correctly, I had one from school, too. Anyway, they hired me. And they only had shows on Saturdays. And the first night I was ever on the air at Channel 10 was the night of the Phoenix Suns, Boston Celtics. It was like a triple overtime game. And it was a playoff game because it was June. And as I was sitting on the set, I started to talk and I didn't put my microphone on. And I I, the anchor, I think it was Mark Wolf, pointed to me and said, put your mic on. So I picked the microphone on, pick, picked up the microphone, put it on. And my first sports cast, which was about one o'clock in the morning in Rochester. But um, I know my parents were up and they saw it <laughs> and <laughs> everything went real well. And I stayed at Channel 10 part time and I still worked at Waxy Radio. I worked at Trailway Bus and one summer I was the PA guy for the Rochester Red Wings. So I had all these part-time jobs before I ever got a full-time job at WSEE in Erie. And I started off there doing news because when I got there, their news director was in the hospital. I'll tell you another story about, and you'll appreciate this, Pat. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is what they never, ever teach you in college. And, and that <laughs> lesson is very simple. The boss is the boss is the boss. I got the to boss. Erie, WSEE in 1978. Yeah. And Ron Guidry had a monster year for the Yankees. Yeah, one of my favorites, I remember. I, I thought you might. So yeah. I went on the air and I said something like, Ron Guidry, Guidry's a hell of a pitcher, hell of a. And back then, this is 1978, this is Erie, Pennsylvania, a place that I grew to love in my six years there. So I got this email from the news director, Jim DeSantis. Well, excuse me, it wasn't an email, it was a memo. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He said, you said hell of a on the air. Don't do that. I went, then, okay. And I didn't really think much about it. Well, being young and dumb, I did it again. Now he calls me in and he says, now you're on probation. I told you not to do it. You did it. Just don't do it again or you're out of here. I said, okay. So uh, I never did it again, unfortunately. But I like telling the story because it's like when you work for someone else, pay attention. You do what they want. And it's just something that I've never forgotten. I had a lot of fun in Erie. I had a great six years there. Um, and then management changed and we didn't see eye to eye. And eventually I uh, went, I left 
when my sister's third child, she has four, was born. Her only son, she has three girls and a boy. And, uh, and a lot of grandchildren now too, thankfully. <laughs> but this is 1984. So my nephew Paul was born. And that day I just walked in and I quit in Erie. Because I, I was young. I didn't have a home, didn't have a you know, mortgage, didn't have a wife, no kids. So I just, I said, you know what, I'm done. Yeah, I, I, so I quit. I, I didn't care for the way I was being treated. And, and it was a great run, but I didn't want it to end that way, but it did. So and when I walked out of the building in Erie, I had met the news director or had talked to the news director at Channel 2 in Buffalo. His name is Tim Rudell. I for some reason I talked to him. Something had happened that I and I was like, man, this guy's really kind of cool. So I thought, well, now that I don't have a job, I better start figuring out how to get one. So I had remembered Tim Rudell, so I called him up and I said, hey, Tim, I you know, just wondering, have you heard about anybody looking for a sports guy? And he gave me three other stations, and then he said, you know, we might have something here. And I said, really? Because you know, Buffalo, close to home. NFL, NHL town. Um, and he said to me, uh, we might have something here, but we're looking for kind of like a unique critter. I said, well, what do you mean by unique critter? And he, he said, someone who can shoot, edit, write, report, anchor, everything. And I said, well, I'm your guy. <laughs> and uh, um, I said, I can be there in however long. And he said, well, yeah, stop, stop by, drop off a tape. That'd be great. So I said, okay. So I, fortunately, since I was, had a feeling what, what had happened in Erie was happening, I, I had a couple of tapes. So I hopped in the car and I got from Erie to Buffalo in about 30 seconds. <laughs> and I got to the door at Channel 2 and they said, you know, come on back, you know, come into the office and introduce myself to Tim Rudell and Ed Kilgore. And I, um, someone had said something about, Canton, Ohio, or the Indians, or the Browns, or something. And Tim Rudell was a Cleveland guy. And I just said, ooh. I said, I'm an Indians fan. And he said, oh, great. So now for the next 45 minutes, he and I are talking tribe. Ah. And I'm thinking, well, so anyway, I drop off the tape. And I, and, and I go home to see my parents in Rochester. And they said, so how'd it go? I said, well, I'm not really sure. We just talked about the Indians for 45 minutes. So uh, I I kept in contact with Tim and I said, would you mind if I came up and hung out with Ed Kilgore for a day? I'll call him and ask him about it. So I came up and I hung out with Ed and the the process started in October or November. And in February, they finally hired me uh, for more money than what it had started out as. Uh, And I mean, that was the beginning of Channel 2 for me. And it was a fabulous, fabulous ride. Well, I'll tell you, that's pretty interesting. More times than not, if somebody ends up at a TV station from another one, usually, you know, they got lured away or their contract had expired and they had options. In your case, you had quit your job before you even knew that you would ever end up at Channel 2. That's pretty interesting. Also, by the way, you kind of opened up the floodgates for me when you mentioned Ron Guidry. I had this really rare gift. I was only like seven years old during that season, but I remember as soon as you said Ron Guidry, the first thing I thought of, 25 and three. Yeah. That was his record in 1978. And I swear to you, Stu, I'm, I was seven years old. I probably know late seventies Yankees better as a seven year old. than I knew the late eighties better as a 17 year old, the late nineties as a 
17, 27-year-old, whatever. That, it was just, it's really weird how I can remember that era of Yankees baseball so much. It's, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, if you think about it, Pat, it's like you're a little kid yeah. and you're just learning about baseball. You love baseball and all sports. I was sports. obsessed with it. Yes. I wasn't upset. I was only obsessed with the Yankees. At that time, being that young, I didn't really care about anything else. My father is from New York. We lived in Buffalo, but my parents are both New Yorkers. Diehard Yankees fan, and it was kind of force-fed to me when I was five years old. And it's literally all I did, man. It's all I did. Well, I, I'm not a Yankee fan, but I respect no, that. Not. And it was a fabulous season for Ron Guidry. Fabulous. It was an, it was an incredible season because the Yankees were – way behind that year, if I remember correctly, and came yeah. back and won everything. 14 games. They were behind the Red Sox. Bob Lemon was the manager that year. Yeah, they forced a one-game playoff. That was the, the game That's where the Bucky, Bucky hit that game. home run. Yeah, yeah. So now you're at Channel 2. And by the way, for perspective on people, not to make you feel old here, buddy, but <laughs> when you first joined Channel 2, for people out there listening, this was a couple months before the Bills drafted Bruce Smith overall. So you were at Channel 2 before Bruce Smith was a Buffalo Bill. Well, actually, back then, the draft was actually held in February. So, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I think I got if if because I got there February eighteenth or nineteenth. I moved to Buffalo with no furniture. I had the book, The World According to Garp. Found an apartment, slept on the floor for a couple of weeks, <laughs> and um, followed a truck in on on thirty three every day. <laughs> Every day because it felt like it snowed every day. Mm-hmm. Even though I grew up in Rochester and Erie, everything I heard about Buffalo was, ah, it snows all the time, which couldn't be further from the truth. So anyway, I'm pretty sure that by the time I got here, they had drafted Bruce because one of the first stories that I did, it was a different day and age, was I had called the, the Bills and I wanted to go out there and do a story on Bruce who was already, I think, here supposedly lifting weights or something. So the one, my first time driving out to the stadium, going out r- route five uh, by the Ford plant there, you know, where you make the turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I skidded and went off the road and came back on the road. And I thought, you know, I hope that's not a sign that I shouldn't be in Buffalo, <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately everything worked out. Okay. But yeah, that was one of the first big stories was Bruce Smith. And of course, at that time it was Hank Bulla and, you know, they had a couple of more, um, it, well, the, the 85 season was terrible and they fired Hank in 86 and Marv Levy came in and that was the beginning of the, of the turnaround. But I'm pretty sure that Bruce had already been drafted and I'm pretty sure that, um, Ed Kilgore had covered that. I don't remember where the draft was. I just know Bruce was first overall and yeah. at the beginning of an incredible time for the Bills. Well, I'll tell you. All right. So maybe he, you got there right around the time he was drafted, but he hadn't played a game yet. That's, and that that's very true. Stuck. Yes, so your, your first year in Buffalo, that team for a second straight year is two and 14. You ever think to yourself, I'm covering a football team that just stinks. I mean, they were horrible back in those, those days. Well, yeah, they were horrible. Um, I think the le- one of the lessons I learned from a media standpoint, if you're going to cover a team, you want them to be either very great right, or very horrible. awful because yeah. in the middle is the worst thing that can happen. 
<laughs> it's very true. You know, I was in the sports department back then. I know Ed Kilger was there. Was Mike DeGeorge there at that yes. time? Yes. Well, it was Ed, Wes Goforth, Mike DeGeorge, uh, and me, and Kent Stockdale, too. Um, Kent uh, was mostly editing and uh, behind the scenes. We had an intern named Otto Hillenbrand, too. Um, but it was most, but it was, it was Ed, Wes, Mike, and me were the, um, on air guys. And I had to, on sports extra, which was the show we used to do, mm-hmm. uh, I, w- I was only allowed to do packages before I got a regular spot on that show, which I was not happy about, but I was grateful to do the packages. So, uh, turned out to be a good show and it helped me create my name in Buffalo was getting on a show like that because, uh, it was a talk show and, you know, we do the Ed and the boys, the round table and, you know, being yeah, having an that. opinion is something that people like opinions. They may not agree with you, but they like to hear other people's opinions. And we had some lively discussions on the bills. And I have to say that Ed, Wes, Mike, Kent, they made me feel part of the team and made me feel really much at home uh, because, you know, I didn't know anybody in Buffalo. I just moved here and went to work and, uh, you know, at the NBC affiliate. And I'm very grateful to all of them for making it such a great experience. And, you know, the other thing, Pat, is I was, I was hired as somebody who could do everything. So uh, I would sometimes go with whoever and shoot videotape, or I'd go out and shoot my own stories. Um, I wasn't the greatest photographer, um, but I managed to get it done. In fact, one quick Erie story. The first time I shot videotape in Erie, <laughs> they had a big, I was still doing news before they asked me to do sports every day. They did that because Jim DeSantis, the news director, was in the hospital. When he got out, he said, hey, would you like to do sports full time? I said, of course. But before I did that, I was doing news. And I had to, back in the, back then, they hadn't converted to videotape. They were still shooting film. So they said, hey, Stu, go out and get an interview with this gentleman. His name was Frank Condrat. He's the head of the truckers union in Pennsylvania or something like that because they were there was a big trucker strike. So I go out, I shoot this interview with Frank Condrat. And with the old film cameras, you had a square and a shaded dot that you had to zoom in, focus, and pull back. So I get back to the station. We go to process the film, and I'm all excited until the guy showing me how to do that says, well, the audio is perfect. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. I had a nose and a mustache, no face. (laughs) (laughs) So so no one was more grateful than me when when WSEE converted to videotape. Um, but anyway, Buffalo got off to a fabulous start and, and it never really went bad. Fortunately. Do you feel like if you would have not gotten into sports, like if you would have stuck with news, if you had to stick with news or didn't get the opportunity to do sports, you think you still probably would have ended up having a 35 year plus career in TV news? Interesting question. I haven't thought about it too much. Every once in a while, I would think about it. I tell you what, Pat, I, I am so grateful that I could do sports. Uh, toward the end of my time in Erie, um, I was shooting news all the time. And you know those grain elevators? Yeah. Uh, there, were, there were grain elevators and there were train tracks. They weren't too far apart. And back, back then, headsets were uh, brand new. Well, I don't know if they were brand new, but these two young ladies were walking on the railroad tracks wearing headsets and they never heard the train coming. And I happened to be there when one of the moms got there to identify that it was her daughter. And I swore that day I never wanted to do news again. 
because it was horrible. So yeah, um, I was like, you know, so the answer to that question is I don't really know how much of that I could have taken. Um, I, I just, I, I, I loved the sports because a, I love sports. It was fun. It was different. It was exciting. Um, hopefully there's no tragedy in it. Um, it was entertainment and there were something happened in, in those grain elevators too, in, in Erie that, that I just said, yeah, I can't take much more of this. So, um, just before I left Erie, that's the kind of stuff that was going on. And, and I was so grateful to be, be in sports full time. Plus the other thing, when I came here, I was 29 and the, it, I don't know if it's, it's probably much different today because everything has changed, but when I got here, the guys were doing sports in ways that I wasn't familiar with because I was a one-man band in my own sports department. So it was just me. And, well, right. a gentleman named Pierre Bellicini and I would drive to uh, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, or Cleveland uh, during the NFL season and cover the NFL teams, which was mostly Pittsburgh um, because the Steelers were great back then. But um, yeah, And there were no weekend shows in Erie, so I would have all this great content on Monday. Um, but when I got here, you know, it, I wasn't, I wasn't on the air every day, which was fine. It was a time to learn, grow, get to learn the city, get to learn the market, get to learn sports teams and everything else. So, um, I don't have a good answer for that question, Pat. I don't, I don't, I'm going to say probably would not have happened. Um, but who knows? Uh, I'm grateful for the way it worked out. What was the process like for you getting comfortable? being on the air, being on TV, probably not something that comes naturally right away, at least. Like, talk about the pressure, if there's any, of being on TV live. Because I think it's one thing to do something that's taped or pre-produced, such as, an example, the interview for this podcast. Like, I don't have any nerves when I do a podcast interview because if I screw up a question, I'm going to be like, oh, shit, you know what, Stu, let me ask you that again. And <laughs> no one's going to end up hearing it, and no one's going to know about it except for me and you because it's pre-produced. But it's a different thing when you're on the air live, whether it's on the radio or a live podcast, or especially in your case for all these years, being on television, that's a different animal. Well, the worst feeling on television is when things go wrong technically, when you lose your place in a script, or the teleprompter isn't where you are. Um, you, you think you say something and you don't say something, or you try to ad lib something and something stupid comes out, which has happened to all of us. Um, it, it's a, it's a terrible feeling because you feel so small and so embarrassed. And then you start to sweat and it's like a snowball rolling downhill. It gets worse and worse and worse. But the flip side is it's never as bad as you think it is, <laughs> but it feels terrible. It's an awful yeah awful feeling. I used to have this nightmare where I would oversleep and wake up and it'd be about 10 minutes to air. So I would have to get up, get dressed, shower, shave, roll down to the station and somehow make it on the air and the show would be okay. But it was my nightmare and it happened so many times just in my dreams. Fortunately, it didn't happen in reality, <laughs> but the dream felt so real that it was like, oh my goodness, how real is this? Uh, it was terrifying. And it's, it's, it's probably the worst feeling in the world of embarrassment when things don't go right, because you hold yourself personally accountable, even if it's not your fault, although most of the time it is, 
You know, like you sent a tape to the wrong placeholder or back in the days when we had tapes, you forgot to take the tape back to the tape room or you queued it up to the wrong spot or you had the wrong soundbite or, you know, and, and directors make mistakes too, or they punched up the wrong video and, you know, you always try to correct it. But uh, when it happens, it's not a good feeling. Was there one particular sport? Now, I know you grew up playing a lot of sports and you've spoke many times of being a Cleveland Indians fan. So. I'm sure baseball is probably your favorite actual sport, but is there one sport you enjoyed covering as a reporter more than the others or a level such as pros, college, high school, whatever? Like I said, through the years, I've seen you covering high school, basketball, NHL, NFL, all kinds of sports, all kinds of levels. Like, was there one that you preferred or did it never matter to you? I don't really think it mattered. What I liked, Pat, was the variety. I think that was one of the best parts. It was a different story every day, a different sport every day. You know, um, I liked going to high schools and colleges. I, I had a lot of fun, especially with the late, great Mr. Dick Gallagher, who unfortunately passed away last week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a true giant of a man. Sure. And uh, he and I would go to all these high school football practices and we go to games and I had a lot of fun doing the play-by-play of the section six high school games. And of course I had a lot of fun doing Bison's play-by-play and I've done some Damon basketball and hopefully I'll get a chance to do all those again. Um, I wouldn't say there was one favorite, you know, when the Sabres were in the playoffs, that was generally a lot of fun because that was a day-to-day thing. When the bills were going to Super Bowls, that was an absolute blast. That was a great group of guys, a fun group of guys. Marv Levy has a great sense of humor and a quick wit, uh, and that made that fun. Plus, to be so close to winning a Super Bowl, it's hard to describe what that feels like, even though I wasn't a player, I wasn't even part of the team. But to experience that ride, even from a media standpoint, was absolutely incredible. It's just like, Wow, these guys like I when when they beat um, the Raiders fifty one to three, I swore that team was winning the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, and um, to come so close and to, and to be even in the smallest way because you're in the media, so you're not really part of it. But let's just say, for argument's sake, you're part of it in the way the media is part of it. It's an incredible feeling. It's like wow, this is so cool. Um. And the same when the Sabres made a couple of deep Stanley Cup runs. Uh, so it's hard to describe what that feels like, except put it this way. It's it's kind of what you live for in the media, if that makes any sense. Because who doesn't sure. want to cover a championship team? So right. it was really cool when the Bisons won in 1998. Um, and, I, and they won another one, too. I think it was 2003, but I'm not sure. The one I remember is 1998 because it's the year our second daughter was born. I remember 96, our first daughter, second daughter, 98. So th- those were obviously huge years for us. But that um, was special to be part of the media in covering teams like that when that stuff happened. And it's a little kind of cool to see that the Bills are going back in a, in a great direction and they're getting real exciting. And now we just got to hope we have a season. And the Sabres, well... They're not there yet. We'll just be nice. How's that? <laughs> That's just Stu Boyer being nice, folks. <laughs> Talk to <laughs> listeners a little bit about Buffalo and Western New York. Now, you've been around for a long time. I mean that very complimentary, of course. Thank what you. is it about Buffalo and about Western New York that you love most? Like something that maybe only people who live in Western New York or who have lived there really understand why it's such a special place. Because on the outside looking in, 
people who haven't lived there, you think of Buffalo, you just think of cold and you think of snow. And obviously it's just so much more than that. Um, I'll tell you what I tell all my relatives in every other city in the country in that this is the best kept secret in the United States. And we'd like to keep it that way um, because you can do anything you want here. And it'll, you can get to wherever you want in 20 minutes. Okay. If there's a bad traffic jam for a bills game, it'll take mm-hmm. you longer. But for the most part, everything is accessible uh, the people here are far and away the best part. They're nice. They're helpful. They're friendly. They go out of their way to talk to you, see how you're doing. Um, the people are what make Western New York for me. It's a fabulous area. Um, I don't care for the winter, but my wife will tell you that um, in the summertime, I complain it's too hot. In the winter, I complain it's too cold, and I'm constantly complaining about the weather. <laughs> so, of course, of course. So, uh, but I think it's I think it's the people. The people here have a great passion for their sports teams. I love that about it. Um, you know, uh, I I'm just going to say it's the people. I mean, my two daughters. We raised our family here. It's a special area. It just became home. I, I can't think of anything really negative to say. Okay, occasionally we get a blizzard. All right. Well, you want a blizzard or you want a hurricane? Uh, yeah. I'll take the blizzard. Um, well, we, me and you were talking, Sue, before we started taping because I've been in Florida now for four years. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you say it's the people. Now, I know it's a very simple answer, but it's also very truthful because it really is. I was telling you about Florida because I'm the same way as you, by the way. I complain constantly. I hate Buffalo winners and I'll never like them ever. I hate them. <laughs> now, I really can't complain too much about a Buffalo summer after spending the last four summers here in Florida because it's just a different kind of heat. But I, I told you this. I said, the scenery down here is beautiful. The water, the beaches, there's just an endless amount of things to do. Whereas Buffalo is a little more simple, but it is. It's the people of Western New York. And I'm not just kissing up the people who are listening because I truly mean it. And I know you do too. It's the people that make a place in a place like Western New York, such a great place to live in. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I grew up in, I'm a Rochester kid, but Buffalo is home. Um, I haven't lived too many other places, so I couldn't tell you, but I'm taking a wild guess that, and I don't think it's such a wild guess, that a lot of other places, the people aren't quite as friendly and neighborly as they are here. I'm just taking a wild guess on that. Maybe friendly, but a lot more to themselves. Like down here in Florida, I would definitely say people are friendly, but it's a lot more to yourself. In Buffalo, if you live in I don't know, pick a neighborhood. It doesn't matter. Say South Buffalo and somebody's sick and there's a fundraiser for some, that cold neighborhood showing up to that fundraiser or to that bear blast or whatever. Your kid is raising money for softball, for a traveling team. People rally in Western New York where a place like Florida, no disrespect, again, a lot of good people down here, nice people, but it's more, you keep to yourself. It's not, doesn't have that neighborhood community feel to it that a place like Buffalo does. Right. It's, it's like, Everybody who leaves Buffalo, you, I mean, you can take them out of Buffalo. You can't take the Buffalo out of them. Right. And people from here are very, very happy, extremely happy and proud when someone from here succeeds, however and wherever they succeed. Now, that might be the same in most communities around the country, but it's that's that's and, and there's such passion for the sports here, too. I mean, mm-hmm. 
I get it. Texas, Ohio, Pennsylvania, they, they draw bigger, bigger crowds for, you know, high school football, but really here it's, you know, the bills and the Sabres are unmatched. Bisons and the bandits have their own followings. Uh, people love, um, you know, the UB Bulls and Canisius and Niagara and St. Bonaventure. And, you know, uh, um, our daughter played soccer for Damon college for four years. She had a fabulous four years there. So, you know, as a, as a, as an adult, I learned to love soccer, and it's especially cool when your kid plays at a high level. Um, there's nothing better than a game day when your kid is playing, and I hate the fact that she's graduated and isn't playing, but that's off the beaten path. I'm good at that, Pat. I get off the track. <laughs> and um, Me too. You know, and I just – in the high school sports here too, they're fun. I mean, I, I, it's just such a special place. Um I don't even know how to describe it except to say it's the people that make this area as great as it is. And that's far more than just sports. It's just people in general. Yeah, I completely agree. So now when you've been around the industry and the business as long as you have, you kind of sort of see everything, at least to some extent, until this year. Okay, COVID, no one's ever had to work through that. Nobody has ever had to experience this. You as a sportscaster. What was that like, that adjustment, going from working at Channel 2 where you're going into the studio to the office several times a week and you're seeing in person, you're seeing Adam and you're seeing Heather who was there at the time, you know, seeing the news people, Mary Alice, everybody there. And then all of a sudden, bam, this hits and it literally changes everything, not just for you, for every news station, every radio outlet, everybody. Now you're working from home, just everything changed. What was that adjustment like for you having to, completely change everything that you know. Well, honestly, I really enjoyed working from home. <laughs> and you're going to yeah. go feel free to laugh at this answer. It's okay. I don't mean it as a joke, but 15 or 20 years ago, I couldn't have done it. I hadn't embraced the technology, but I really enjoyed it here because mm-hmm. I was real proud of myself that I could actually do it. It was it, it's very difficult for everybody all the stations. I don't know, you know, there, there aren't too many people in the building in channel two. A lot of people are working from home. That makes it challenging for everybody because a lot of people don't realize how many people it takes to get a television show on the air. Um, right. You know, the, the writer, the producer, the director, um, the anchor. So there's a lot that goes into it. And, um, and nowadays with such small staffs, that makes it even that more, much more challenging. Um, and, and, and the video quality from zoom calls is not like when I go out and I interview you on camera, it's just, right. It's not as good. Um, so, and with so few people working and they're all doing so much mistakes are going to be made. That's just a fact of life. Um, so I did enjoy working from home. The, the problem was had there been game, like if the bills were being, if the Bills were playing, it would have been very difficult to get Bills highlights because there wouldn't have been a way for me to record them directly into my computer. They had to be recorded at the station, and then I would have had to upload them. Well, first download them, then upload them onto my computer. And that right now is still a lengthy process. Um, but that's the next step for people working at home if that's what they want to do when whatever kind of normalcy returns. Um, mm-hmm. So there weren't any games going on, which really helped 
and it forced you to think more. And whenever, when I was working from home, I always tried to close out my stories from home with like an, and finally item like, and finally tonight, um, Georgetown coach Patrick Ewing has been tested positive for the COVID virus. And he tells people to take this seriously. There's nothing to laugh at a little item like that. Or, um, there was one where the Pawtucket Red Sox were going to open up, uh, they called it like dining on the diamond. And finally tonight, the Pawtucket Red Sox are going ahead with something called dining on the diamond, where you can, uh, social distance and eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner, whatever it was, on the infield at McCoy Stadium. Just something different, something to leave people hopefully with, well, I mean, Patrick Ewing said he was he thought he was going to be okay. So, you know, just something a little different that people would be thinking about when I would say, and finally, you know, so they would, hopefully they would think, oh, what's he got now? Um, so I enjoyed working at home, Pat. It was challenging in a way, um, but it's good to be challenged, right? I, I, uh, sure. um, I, I liked it. It's not always fun to shoot your own standups, but eventually I started doing some outside. Um, if, if uh, my wife and kids were home, I'd have them check out my standups to make sure they were framed up. Okay. That's a big secret and in focus because <laughs> I didn't want to reshoot them. You know? <laughs> right. Um, so working from home was challenging. It was interesting. It was fun. And uh, now I'm in a different spot in life already, and I don't have to be concerned with it. But I'm proud of myself that I was able to work from home because, like I said a few years back, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I didn't always embrace the technology, and I credit my wife, Susan, for telling me to embrace certain things. She said, you know, just do whatever. This goes back a ways, but just do whatever they want and put a smile on your face. Your life will be much easier. And I thought, you know, that, that's great advice. I married a very yeah. smart woman. <laughs> when did you decide that it was time to retire? Now, obviously your last newscast was just last week, but like, when did you first decide that? I think it's time though. Um, I kind of, that was kind of the plan all along right around 65. So that's been in the works for a while. I just didn't tell anybody. Um, Susan, my wife knew, um, but that was just kind of what we had planned. Um, both girls have graduated from college. Rachel's an x-ray tech and Jamie's looking at grad schools. And, you know, um, I've been working my entire life, basically, from the time I was 12 years old to one job or another. Um, I had a great run and it's just time. I mean, the pandemic has taken a lot of fun out of a lot of things for all of us. Sure. sure. Um, and I was going to retire anyway, but this this just confirmed that it was the right time for me to go. It's just time, Pat. I, I've known for a while uh, that, it's, that it's been time. It was a you know great long run. Very happy about it. Very proud of it. I enjoyed it all. Uh, but it was just time, and that was kind of always the plan. While it was ultimately not done live at the studio, what was the moment like for you watching on television as Adam Menini is? paying homage to you on that last broadcast last week, Monday, and you having a message for fans before signing off for the final time. What's going through your mind as you're watching that? And I'll tell you what, let me actually play that clip. Then I'll come back at your reaction okay. for people who might not have heard it. Here's, here's the clip of you. When I came here in 1985, I was a 29 year old kid. I grew up here. I got married here and we raised our family here for the kid from Rochester. Buffalo quickly became and will always remain home. 
Channel 2 became my home away from home. It's a special place. I've worked with so many dedicated, talented, hardworking people throughout the years, and that's from the top on down. Channel 2 will always be special to me because so many great things happened to me there. Ed Kilgore brought me to Buffalo, and I'm forever grateful to Ed for that. Ed, Wes Goforth, Mike DeGeorge, and Kent Stockdale all made me feel part of the team and at home. By the time Adam joined us, Wes and Mike had moved on, but to his credit, we've never missed a beat. I'd like to thank everybody by name, but over 35 years, there are an awful lot of names, and I don't want to forget anybody's name because that might hurt somebody's feelings, and that's the last thing I want to do. I'm fortunate to have covered great stories about the Bills, Sabres, Bisons, and Bandits, and all the area professional teams. That goes for the high school and colleges, too. It's been a great run, and most importantly, I've been able to share those stories with you, the viewers, on air and online. For now, it's all about family. No more missed birthdays, anniversaries, or holiday celebrations. No more showing up late and leaving early. So thank you to all of you for making my time at Channel 2 so extraordinary and so special. And now for the last time I say, Stu Boyer, Channel 2 Sports. <laughs> now let me ask you this, Stu, is I watched this. Okay, let me let you in on a little secret here. I have a sling player. My my brother-in-law in Orchard Park has one. So I'm able to bang into his TV cable box and I watch local news quite often because I quite often have sports and news media guests on the podcast. So I want to keep up with everything. I'm watching you do that. And at the very end of it, you laugh a little bit, which is typical you. Like watching that back as you're watching it back, like what's going through your mind? Is it like a full gamut of emotions, happiness, sadness, a little bit of humor maybe as well? Um. Yeah, I would say a little bit of everything, Pat. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of took a few notes and put that thing together. And I wanted to end with my tag because Scott Levin and Mary Ellis Demler are always teasing me about the way I say it. And that's why I was laughing at the end because that was kind of, I don't know. I, I guess my tag is kind of unique and I'm kind of, proud of the tag sure and so i had to end it that way because that would be the final time that i would do it um i had been preparing that preparing for the end for a while so that my emotions were under control if that makes sense because i knew it was coming Mm -hmm. i knew it was going to happen and i knew that it was happening and uh, we shot that right on our front lawn that monday afternoon I had no idea what Adam was going to say or do. Um, but for me, my emotions, you know, I guess when you decide that you're going to do something and you're fortunate enough to be able to do it the way you want to do it, it was very calm, Pat, very, very calm, very under control. And I thought a lot about all the great experiences that I've had. You know how like things are on a little wheel spinning through your mind? Uh, Like I remember 51 to three. I remember no goal. I remember thinking, uh, I remember the Jason Pominville goal, all those little things. They're all going through your mind on like a tape that's fast forwarding. Uh, And um, so I I was under control and I just had a very good and a very calm feeling about everything. Sure. Now, as that airs and people are watching it, forget about yourself for a second here. An absolute outpouring of admiration and of uh, respect on social media from colleagues and peers and fans 
and such like that. And I mean an outpour. And I saw a ton of well wishes and stuff dedicated to you on Twitter. And I'm sure you got to see some of them as well. What does that mean to you? Not even so much about yourself, just seeing what other people, particularly the people you've worked with, whether it's Channel 2 or other TV stations, radio, doesn't matter. All the nice things that they had to say about you, that had to mean a lot to you as well. I can't tell you how much that mean to me. I was absolutely and still am incredibly overwhelmed by it all. I was like, wow. I don't know how I can thank each and every one of those people for all those great things they they wrote, said, whatever. I was like, my goodness, incredible. Um, I, I was blown away by it. Uh, I, I, you know, even competitors like Matt Bove from Channel 7 had a really nice thing to say, and he put it on the air too. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, so I was, I am still blown away by it. And I can't tell you how great all of that makes me feel. It makes me feel like, you know what? I meant something to all these people. And on some of the younger people, I had a positive impact on their lives and their careers. And that to me means the world, all of it, Pat. I, I literally, I'm, I'm not kidding when I tell you I was absolutely, and I still am blown away by all the things on social media. Uh, Kim DeGeorge, who works at Channel 2, wrote a beautiful little thing on my Facebook page. Uh, a lot of people had just so many great, so many nice things to say. And I'm like, wow, incredible. So um, the only way to describe it is being blown away by it in a great, great way. Well, I'll tell you this. I think one of your best achievements through your 35-year plus at Channel 2 is actually being at Channel 2 for 35-plus years in an <laughs> industry where, you know, turnover is just so high. And especially now with everything that's going on more than ever, it's got to hurt you a little bit as we start to wind down here. When a colleague or a peer of yours loses their job, when you know how much that job means to them. Like, for an example, Paul Hamilton, who's 25 years at WGR, First, he was furloughed and now got laid off. That sucks. But ironically, things are working out for him because now he's going to be joining Channel 2 and doing some stuff there as well. But you know what I'm saying? It's like you were very blessed and fortunate to have the career that you have. You look around and you see a lot of things going on, like Joe Gurner from The Athletic's been laid off recently. Lots of people have and been on furlough, losing income at the time. It's got to hurt to see stuff like that. Like I said, somebody like Paul is a perfect example. I hate to see all that stuff happen because they're good people and they don't deserve it. I hated what happened with Paul. I didn't know that about Joe. I hate hearing that. I'm glad that Paul found a landing spot at Channel 2. I, I just hate hearing that because what people outside the media don't know is how difficult it is to get in this business and stay in it. You're oftentimes at the whim of someone else in the industry. Um, it, it's a tough, tough business. And I, I feel the pain of each and every one of those people. And over my time at Channel 2, a lot of good, talented people, for whatever reason, went to other places, whether it was more money, more airtime, whatever it was. And, you know, when they go to someplace else on their terms and they, you know, it's a great career move, good for them. And if it didn't work out that way, that, that hurts and it makes me very sad. So I hate seeing that stuff. The pandemic is, hasn't helped anybody. It's not good for anyone. Uh, it's taken a great toll on so many industries, including ours. So I guess when you're at one place like that for so long, you take a lot of this stuff personally. You just don't want to see it happen. And, you you know, 
unfortunately it does and you just have to deal with it and you know the bottom line pat is i guess you got to take care of yourself and hope for the best and you know that's not always the greatest way to to be but that's what you have to be and another unfortunate part of our world is i don't think too many managements maybe now they do because of the pandemic i don't think too many corporations care about morale um right and maybe because of the, how about this? Maybe the one good thing that might one day come out of the pandemic is that corporations will suddenly care about morale again, but I doubt it. Um, yeah. But I, I just don't think that they're concerned about it because morale doesn't really, you know, all they care about is the bottom line. And that's just a hard, cold fact of life. But when, when bad things happen to good people, losing jobs and stuff like that, I hate it. I, yeah. I hate it. And, Unfortunately, there was nothing I could ever do about it. Right. So before we end here with the fun fact finale, I want to play at least just a small part of the clip of Adam paying homage to you before that last sportscast that you did. I'm going to play that at least a small part of that clip, and then I want to get your thoughts about Adam after that. Here's that clip. But speaking of home, Stu has heard the calling, the call of family, his wife, Susan, and beautiful daughters, Rachel and Jamie. More time with them. So, happily and sadly, the end of his time with us. It is often said that among the ultimate tests is the test of time. So, Stu, thank you. You've passed that one and then some with flying colors. Now, I'm probably asking you the most rhetorical question in podcast history here, but that had to feel good to hear something like that coming from Adam. What Adam said literally blew me away. I was sitting here shaking my head. I was like, Oh my God. Wow. Um, I was stunned beyond belief. Uh, I, he's a great guy and we worked closely together for 20 plus years. And, and what he said meant an awful lot to me and still means an awful lot to me and always will. I would, I thought it was a fabulous, fabulous send off that just kind of sent me over the moon. I was like, wow, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. Pat. I was just like, yeah, I, I totally hear you, man, for sure. All right, so here's what we're doing, Stu. We're ending with the fun fact finale. I do this with all my guests. I'm just going to ask you some random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that's in your head, just pop it out. That'll be your answer. And I'm going to warn you, though, I have these interviews with people, and it's a lot easier to talk about your career in Buffalo and your job than it is to come up with answers on the fly about some random stuff. So be prepared. You ready to go? All righty. All right. Favorite all-time athlete? Bo Jackson. Uh, favorite city that you've been able to visit, whether it's a vacation or for work purposes, whatever. The favorite city that you've been to. Ooh, you know, you're right. That's a tough question. Favorite city. There, a lot of these will be. <laughs> uh, favorite city. I don't even know that many cities that I've been in. Just say Cleveland because I have no clue. <laughs> okay. This one is not probably going to be easy or maybe it will be because you're going to have to go back here in the time machine. Who was your first celebrity crush that you can remember? Uh, yeah, we'll just go with Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay, that's a good one. What's your like go-to snack? It's late at night, can't sleep, getting up middle of the night, whatever, and you go to the fridge or to the pantry, whatever. Like, what's your go-to snack? Uh, French onion potato chips, French onion dip, and a bottle of Coca-Cola, which I can't eat or drink. I can't have it anymore, but that's what I would have. <laughs> okay. What movie have you probably rewatched more than any other movie? There's two. The Guns of Navarone 
and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Name a TV game show that if you were on it, you feel like you potentially could do very well, whether it's a current or a past game show, any game show from any time. Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Okay. Last couple here. So instead of doing this interview, what, 1,500 miles away, whatever we are right now, let's just say we're at a pub right now having a pint together and there's karaoke going on. And in this imaginary world, Stu Boyer is an amazing singer. And you're going to get up there. I say, Stu, get up there. Sing a song. You get up there, you grab the mic. What song are you going to sing that people that are listening along in the bar are going to get up, start singing along to, getting down with? Like, what would be your signature karaoke song, at least in your own mind anyway? <laughs> my way. It would be my way. Okay. Frank Sinatra. That's a good one. Here's one, because we've talked now for well over an hour, and it's been all about the business in your career. Let's say that you had never gotten involved in this industry in any fashion, or Remember when you quit shortly before you went to Channel 2 in 85? Let's say you didn't get hired at 85 at Channel 2 and you had to do something else. Like, what do you think you may have ended up doing with your career if it wasn't broadcasting? I think I would have been selling advertising for the Rochester Red Wings. Okay. Uh, Second last one here. Give me a fun fact about you that most people might not know. Probably not a lot out there. You've been on the air for 35 years, but something... A fun fact that most people might not know about you. You know, believe it or not, that's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, lots of fun. I, I, I don't you. drink at all. I, I'm not. A, I don't. I, maybe I'll have. When my father was alive, we would have a shot of whiskey whenever something really big happened that we wanted to celebrate. I, I don't drink right. at all. I'm not. A, I'm, a, I'm the biggest teetotaler you'll ever find, which I guess isn't the most fun <laughs> fact. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. All right, here's my traditional last question. It's the same one I ask everyone this. So you could have three celebrities or historical figures, whatever, dinner guests at your house tonight, dinner, a couple non-alcoholic drinks in your case, conversation, anything, you, anybody from any point in time, celebrity, historical figure, whoever, three people, who would you have? Winston Churchill. Okay. Uh... Well, let's see. This is this is very common. People got to start talking it out at this point. You know, now I got I got to think of the other two because <laughs> you know, uh, forever is a long time, Pat. <laughs> it is. It certainly uh, is. Winston Tur- Churchill, Walter Cronkite. Okay. And. Uh, hmm. I'll go with Barack Obama. Okay, that's perfect. All right, everyone, on Twitter, give Stu a follow at Stu Boyer. Let me end by saying this, too. So we talked about Adam paying homage to you, what it meant to you to get to see with your own eyes and ears the outpouring of respect and admiration from a lot of your peers and a lot of fans. I just want to say that it's really good for you to be able to retire and live out your life peacefully right now and enjoy everything as opposed to a lot of times what people have been saying about you recently, that's usually reserved for after somebody passes away and you're kind of (laughs) eulogizing somebody. You know what I'm saying? You're getting the opportunity to to let everybody tell you how they feel about you and you're still alive to enjoy it. So that's really good, man. I really 
really thank you for being on the podcast. This was so much fun. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And you know, it's funny that you said that because I that thought had crossed my mind more than <laughs> once or twice. I'm like, whoa, but all those great things literally warms the cockles of my heart. It makes me feel like I had an impact in a positive way on a, many lives during the course of my time here. Um, and you know, I've met a few legends here. Like if I didn't move here, let me, can I, you got time? I got to tell you a quick Scotty Bowman story. I got all the time in the world, man. Go ahead. All okay. the time in the world. Now, do you remember back at the odd, there was a big gentleman who would sit there. His name was Art. He was the policeman who'd sit outside the locker room. Uh, I don't personally remember. Him okay. Well, he was a big gentleman. His name was Art and he moved with a slow gait. And um, I had come from Erie and shortly after I came here, the Sabres, when Scotty was still the head coach, had hired Nick Polano, who was unfortunately passed away, as an assistant coach. And I knew Nick from our days together in Erie. So I was still working in Erie. And one Sunday night, the Sabres were home against Quebec. And I thought, you know, it'd be a good time for me to drive up to Buffalo. And I'll, if, I, if I can't get sound with Nick, you know, I'd like to get some sound with Scotty Bowman. So I drive up to Buffalo and I go back toward where the locker room is. And, and Art says to me, he'd never seen me before. This is like in January or February. So it was cold and there was snow on the ground and the Sabres in Quebec used to have a great rivalry. So um, I told Art who I was, what I was hoping to do. And it, and it worked. And he said, okay, we'll see what we can do for you. Sabres lose a really tough game two to one to Quebec. And it's get you know, it's back in the day, the Adams division was, they had big rivalries. Mm -hmm. So the game ends and, and I had explained to Art what I was looking for. He disappears and about 15 minutes later, who comes out but Scotty Bowman himself. And he does this great interview with me about Nick Polano. And I was blown away because I didn't call a PR guy to set it up. I just drove up. It's not the way you're supposed to do it. You could get away with it back then. I doubt you could do it now. But I'm mm -hmm. like, Scotty Bowman came out and talked to me. And I was like, wow, he's a great guy, by the way. I've been fortunate to interview Scotty numerous times. He's an amazing gentleman. I have the most respect in the world for him. Um, and he's always been great to me, starting with that time. when And, you know, here's this legend He's coming out to talk to me, Stu Boyer from Erie, Pennsylvania. He doesn't know me from the wall. It turned out it was a great story. And I've never forgotten that about Scotty doing that for me. Fabulous. It's a great story. Thanks again, Stu. Pat, thank you very much for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. Anytime you want to do this again, call me. I'll talk about anything you want. <laughs> Absolutely. That interview with Stu Boyer was brought to you by our friends over at Sounds Assured. So it seems that everyone out there has a podcast today, and I listen to a ton of them myself. The biggest mistake I hear when I listen, I can almost instantly tell every time many people make this mistake. You go out and spend all your money on the fancy microphones and boom arms and interfaces, the recording devices, the headphones, all that stuff. The problem is you go get all this stuff and you don't treat your recording environment at all talking about mainly your walls and your ceiling. And the result is despite spending all that money, your audio still sounds pretty crappy. Look, you need to invest in acoustic treatments to make the gear 
that you spend that money on Thrive. Sounds assured is top-notch acoustic foam. I know this personally because some of my own home studio has wedges that are outfitted from Sounds Assured. It's available in multiple sizes, very reasonably priced. Most importantly, really good quality. Again, folks, invest in your audio the right way. Visit soundsassured.com. Give them a call. Someone will be happy to discuss your needs with you. Uh, Do yourself, do your podcast, do your audio production a really big favor. And go check out soundsassured.com. All right, so before I call it a wrap for this episode, I got two things that I want to hit on. One of them actually happened. So I taped that interview with Stu that you just heard late on Sunday night. And about halfway or so through the interview, Stu was telling one of his many great stories. I'm flipping around on Twitter and saw that Cam Noonan had signed with the New England Patriots. And my first thought, I'm not going to lie to you, as Stu's telling one of his very entertaining stories, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, God damn it. And I didn't say anything during the interview, of course, because our interview was about Stu's life and his career, not football talk. But that was my instant reaction. Not happy about it. If you're a Bills fan, you should not be happy about it. Look, I'm going to say this right now, and I'm not going to get into heavy details about the signing. We'll save that for Friday's show. I have a five-topic Friday coming up on Friday with uh, Joe Miller from Buffalo Fanatics. We'll have a really good discussion on Cam Newton his signing with the Patriots, what it means to them, what it means to Buffalo. We'll get into details with that on Friday. But my initial knee-jerk reaction is not good. And I'm going to say this too. If you listen to this podcast, I can't count how many times I have said over the last handful of weeks or even months how uncomfortable I am with the Bills being considered the favorites to win the AFC East. It drives me crazy. I absolutely hate it. Now, let me say this too. That's not to say that I don't think the Buffalo Bills have the best team in the division. That is not to say that I don't think the Buffalo Bills, with or without Cam Newton, are not capable of playing the Patriots twice and beating the hell out of them twice. Dominating the division, I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is, when you're a football team that has won the division 20 straight years, let that sink in. 20 straight years, when you've won it 20 straight years and you have probably the best coach, not probably, you have the best coach in the history of the NFL, you don't go annoyed in a team that has never taken a division from you in 20 years as the favorites. In my mind, before Cam Newton, the Patriots still should be the favorites to win the AFC East. They've shown in the past they can win without Tom Brady. They won 11 games with Castle before. Again, best coach in history, one of the elite defenses in the NFL, and they know how to win. They know how to make plays. Are they going to go out and score 45 points a game? No, of course not. They know how to win football games. Until you take that crown from them, they should be the favorites to win the AFC East, not the Bills. So I've had a big problem with that. And when it comes to Cam Newton, I'm just going to say this much for now. And again, we'll talk more on Friday about it. If. And granted, this is a big, 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 big if. But if Cam Newton is 100%, if Cam Newton, more importantly, stays 100%, he makes that team really good. Matter of fact, that 100% healthy Cam Newton in 2020, in my opinion, is significantly better than a 42 or 43-year-old Tom Brady at quarterback. 
I'd rather, I don't care how many times he's won in the past. I know he's the GOAT. But I ain't afraid of Tom Brady anymore. I think a healthy Cam Noonan actually makes the Patriots better this year than they were last year. Now they lost other players, especially on defense. My only point is this. I've never liked the Bills being considered the favorites. I said don't crown them. And now Cam Noonan goes to the Patriots. Don't like it at all. Cam, we'll talk more about that on Friday. Here's how I want to end the episode for today. It's about Florida. As many of you know, I've been living here for the last four years or so. Let me say this. The term probably over the last couple of years, maybe even the last four years, no coincidence where I'm going here, but the term fake news has become, you know, synonymous with America over the last couple of years. You hear it all the time. Everything's fake news. And to be fair, a lot of shit that you read is indeed fake news. But I'm here to tell you about Florida right now. What you're hearing, what you're reading, what you're seeing is not fake news. When it comes to COVID and how this state has handled it is utterly, absolutely disgraceful. It's disgraceful and frankly, it's scary. I'm going to end with this quick story. And this is just a little bit of detail to tell you how bad it's gotten right now in Florida. So about a week or so ago, a good friend of mine from Buffalo actually came down to Florida. And the reason being is that she's very much considering moving down here to Florida. She got offered a job in Tampa and she wanted to explore the Tampa area, St. Pete, the area around where I live, which is like Bradenton, Sarasota, Lakewood Ranch, about maybe a half hour from St. Pete, about 45 minutes or so from Tampa. And let me say this too. It's a very nice area. Florida is very nice. I'm not talking about Florida as a state, the history of it, or what it's like to live here. I'm talking about right now in these times with COVID, the rest of this story, okay? So she comes down and I wanted to show her around some nice areas. And last Friday night, I wanted to take her to Siesta Key. She had never been there. Now, many people know that Siesta Key is one of, and quite possibly the nicest beach in the entire United States. Forget Florida. I'm talking about the entire country. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And we went right around sunset because, again, a lot of you have seen this, I'm sure. The sun setting over Siesta Key into the Gulf of Mexico is a sight to behold. It's one of the better sights, the prettier sights that you'll ever see. So I wanted to make sure she saw that. The beach was fine. I mean, it's such a monstrous sight's beach anyway. It could be packed and you could still properly social distance and spread out. No issues there. So after that, her, my, my family too, by the way, was with me. So it's, it's my wife, my son, my nephew, and our friend. We go into Siesta Key Village, which is about maybe a three-minute drive or so from the actual beach. And we park and we go to walk up to go to a diner. We were all hungry and we were going to just sit down and grab a bite. I'm telling you, there's probably, I don't know, I'm thinking in my head as I'm talking here, maybe six bars, seven bars, something like that. Every single bar that we walked past was absolutely mobbed, mobbed, live music going, people sitting on top of each other all around the area. It looked like for people in Buffalo's reference back in the UB days, the main street bars where you just be walking around and it's just mobbed or say Chippewa at midnight on a Saturday night. That's a better reference. That's what it was like. Live music, people all over each other, 
and no freaking mask. Nobody's wearing a mask. Nobody is wearing a mask. For every 50 people I saw, maybe five people in this village were wearing a mask. And I'm not exaggerating either. So we go, we sit down, we eat, walk back an hour later, and it's still packed. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. The very next morning, I have a good friend who's playing in a volleyball tournament in St. Pete, which is about a half hour or so away. They're playing at St. Pete or uh, St. Pete's Beach, very well-known beach. We don't go early. We go early afternoon, and it's just me and my friend this time. And we go to the area, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not lying to you. We spent a full hour trying to find a parking spot to no avail. Free spots metered paid spots literally could not find a parking spot now there was some kind of tournament going on but regardless that's how busy it was the saint pete beach area there was a beach bar and it was kind of sort of closed i mean you couldn't sit there but there was a gathering around where you get drinks and you go and i can't explain it in words it's a sight that you needed to see again hundreds of people and i mean hundreds of people all conversion is one little area drinking with no mask on. Just horrific to see. It is not surprising at all when you see these numbers that are coming out in Florida. And I can only speak for Florida. I can't speak for Texas or Arizona or anywhere else that's a hotspot right now. I can only tell you about the Gulf Coast area of Florida because I'm seeing that with my own eyes. It's scary. It's scary. I'll be surprised if a ton of people that I know don't get COVID very soon. I'll be honest with you. I'll be surprised if I don't get it very soon. I'm going to put myself on blast. I could get away with this and you would never know. But I've done some things without masks too. I mean, I always wear a mask when I go into Publix or Walmart, retail stuff. But I've been outside. I haven't worn a mask. I've done some stuff. I've played some cornhole with some people without wearing a mask. So I put myself in danger too. But my point was this. If you didn't know in Florida, and if you just woke up from a coma or something and got up and went out, you would never know that COVID-19 was even happening because ain't nobody wearing a mask. Ain't nobody social distancing. Ain't no bars enforcing it. And if they do, it's so loosely that you would never know. It's just sad. And as a country, we got to be better. Florida's a state's got to be better. Or all these sports that we're hoping to see soon, ain't going to be seeing it. Ain't going to happen. And on that note, not to be a Debbie Downer, that is going to do it for today's episode. One more time, a very big thank you, Stu Boyer, WGRZ-TV, formerly WGRZ-TV now. One of the best, one of the nicest people. Such a great thrill to have him on the show. Very much appreciate you, Stu. I also appreciate today's show supporters, Sounds Assured, and 26 Shirts. Guys, if you have not done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast right now. Ready review, all that fun stuff really helps me continue to grow this show. Also, check out our YouTube page, Talk About Full Podcast. We're on YouTube. Lots of highlight clips from Pern and Pat's episodes up there as well. Last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, promos, all that stuff, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I end every episode the same way because it means a lot to me. I know how many shows are out there, how many podcasts are out there. So when you are tuned into this one, it legitimately, truly humbles me. So thank you so much. Have a good week. I'll be back. Five Topic Friday coming up in a couple days. Joe Miller from 
Buffalo Fanatics. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.